welcome to the latest episode of the Intelligent Transport podcast. My name is Halima Haq. I'm the Editorial Assistant of Intelligent Transport and your host for today. Joining me for this episode is Alex Berwin, Head of Policy at Human Forest. Today we'll be discussing the future of sustainable urban transportation and how Human Forest is spearheading eco-friendly micromobility solutions in the competitive London market. It's such a pleasure to have you here today, Alex. I greatly appreciate your presence to delve into this crucial topic for the transportation industry. Thank you so much for having me. No problem at all. Brilliant. I'm really looking forward to exploring how human forest differentiates itself within the micromobility landscape, as well as the challenges that the company has encountered in navigating unique transportation policies. So let's jump right in. As a head of policy at Human Forest, your expertise must be instrumental in guiding the company's vision and ensuring it aligns seamlessly with sustainable policies and regulations. Can you please elaborate on the key aspects of your role in driving this alignment? Yeah, sure. Um, so Human Forest, so at its core, is a really collaborative company. So I work very closely with all the heads of departments in the business to essentially drive the company's vision to be the most affordable and sustainable shared micro-mobility provider in the market. Um, My specific role is really about building our relationships, strategic relationships with local authorities and regulators like TfL and London boroughs so that we can bring our wider vision to life. So finding ways to help local authorities and and TfL and uh, councils reach their targets. So things like cleaner air, more active transport, more cycling, lower carbon transport um, through our offer at Human Forest is a really key part of my day to day. Brilliant. It's really clear that your expertise and proactive approach play a pivotal role in shaping the company's vision and driving alignment with sustainable policies and regulations. Considering Human Forest's mission to offer affordable and eco-friendly transportation options, as you've just mentioned, how do you ensure that the service remains accessible to a wide range of users while also maintaining financial sustainability for the company? It's a really great question. So um, as you just said, we have a very unique business model at Human Forest. So it essentially allows all of our customers and riders to access 10 minutes of free riding every single day. To make that possible, we have a very different revenue stream. um, And that's via our ad tech platforms, advertising technology. So the ad tech side of the business, which is all built in-house, is where we show adverts from our partner companies. Um, So we work very closely with um, different charities and uh, other companies sort of aligned to our our values at sort of tackling climate change. Um, We share those ads to our customers. And essentially, they're funding the 10 minutes free every day for our customers. So it's a real win-win for everyone. Um, And it's a really innovative way of connecting our users to those brands that they might be interested in, while also allowing them to access more free minutes of cycling. And we have also introduced a a new feature called Minute Builder um, in the app, which essentially allows you to top up your free minutes every day by watching more, more adverts from our partners. Brilliant. Thank you for delving into that. It certainly um, does sound like a unique approach, but it's working for the company, as I've seen. So, no, thank you for providing us insight into that. The strategies you mentioned showcase a really well-rounded approach and um, to address both accessibility and financial sustainability. As we're all aware, the London micromobility market is quite competitive with various operators vying for market share. 
So Alex, how does human forest differentiate itself within this competitive landscape while also adhering to the capital's policy framework? Yeah, so you're right. It's a super competitive landscape at the moment um, in the market we're in. But our really strong USP stands us in good stead, I think. So our USP is really around those two core pillars that we've talked about already. So sustainability and affordability. Um, We're ticking to much needed boxes for London and local authorities and TfL at the moment. So we're reducing air pollution and we're providing accessible prices for our uh, shared e-bikes. So uh, providing that 10 minutes free, especially during a cost of living crisis. In fact, over a 19 minute journey, we are 50% cheaper than our sector peers in London. Um, So for many local authorities, uh, human forest has a very enticing offer. The tricky part for us is with so many different boroughs in London, um, we have to be constantly working to navigate lots of different requirements and expectations that they have on us as a business uh, working uh, working with them in the borough. But at the same time, being mindful of the communities we operate in and, of course, you know, serving our customers. It's really fascinating to learn um, just get a bit more insight into that. It certainly sounds like a collaborative effort. Of course, London must also have its unique set of regulations and policies regarding transportation, particularly for micromobility operators. So can you explain some of the key challenges Human Forest has encountered in navigating these policies and how you have worked towards compliance while also meeting the needs of riders? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it kind of leads on to, to the sort of last point, really. So we operate in 12 different London boroughs, and they all have very different expectations and regulations around micromobility operators and, and dockless bike operators such as ourselves. So the two biggest challenges uh, that we face uh, are actually to do with, with parking. So we want to find suitable and convenient spaces for the bikes to be parked in. We know that's uh, you know, something that our customers want and also the communities want that, that we operate in. The network of those bays, though, has to be dense enough so that the bikes are still a convenient and accessible option for our customers and so that we can continue to providing um, the low carbon uh, and active travel service that, that we do. It is hard for anyone to find spaces in a city as vibrant and busy as London, um, but we feel like the areas where this issue has been deeply considered are the areas where our e-bikes are parked most appropriately. So human forest as well as a, as a company, we are the only operator to incentivize customers to end their trip in a designated bay. So that leads to very high levels of compliance. It means we have a large percentage of trips ending in those parking bays across London. So we're you know, proactively encouraging our customers to, to park responsibly and giving them an, an incentive as a result. But what we would really like to see is you know, we are calling proactively on all London boroughs to work with us to identify more dedicated parking bays um, so that we can ensure that our bikes can be parked safely on the carriageway, ideally, and if not in sort of specific uh, uh, locations on the footway, if it's near sort of existing cycle infrastructure. You know, the demand for cycling is clearly there in London. Um, so it's really important that I think we now all come together and really rethink our approach and reallocate more parking space for sustainable vehicles like e-bikes, especially if we're going to meet these uh, sort of climate targets that are are coming around very soon. Great. Thank you for delving into that. As you've said, biking has become really popular, especially since the pandemic has sort of 
ended. So it's nice to see that it's increasing. And with the introduction of new traffic regulations, such as the ultra low emission zone in London, as well as the growing emphasis on reducing pollution, how does human forest ensure that its electric bikes meet the necessary emission standards and comply with the city's regulations? Yeah, so all of our e-bikes are powered by renewable uh, renewable energy, of course. But on top of that, all of our service fleet, so the, the vehicles that sort of go around and, and manage the vehicles, um, they're all electric vehicles as well. So, um, And they are powered by renewable energy. It's a really cool part of um, our offer and, and our business. It's, it's very close to our hearts. So um, we also have B Corp status um, and we've also been validated by Vera um, to support our sustainability concerns. We're the only micro-ability operator we're aware of that's got this will B Corp status. Regarding ULES, Generally, you know, today in the news, it was obviously announced that it is going ahead. The court has given the all clear. We are you know, very happy to see regulations come in like that, which removes additional uh, cars from our roads, particularly those that are the most sort of polluting. And I think ultimately we do need some radical policies to shift people out of those carbon emitting modes of transport if we do want to reach the ambition goal, uh, ambitious goals that uh, that the mayor has and the government has put in place for improvements in air quality. But it's important to also remember that it cannot all be punitive, you know, the measures that are, that are being introduced. So we believe uh, at Human Forest that we need to offer realistic alternatives to cars. And that is where our affordable uh, and uh, easily accessible shared e-bikes come in. Perfect. Thank you for delving into that. You've sort of mentioned this, but another issue that micromobility operators often face due to London's infrastructure and road is particularly in terms of ensuring rider safety and ensuring service delivery. So how does Human Forest sort of collaborate with local authorities and other stakeholders to address these infrastructure related issues to create a seamless ride experience? Yeah, so a big one for us is rider education. Um, and so making sure our users are uh, aware of, of their responsibility and uh, and how they can best use our service. Um, and also educating boroughs on the importance of where e-bikes should and should not be left and how we can best sort of build a, an infrastructure around them to, to encourage you know, responsible usage. So at Human Forest, we have a three-strike policy. So we warn, fine, and eventually ban any users who repeatedly park um, our bikes inappropriately. But, you know, long-term change requires intelligent connections with our users and the authorities and communities. We've run some really awesome marketing campaigns over the last few years with our users. Um, So we ran one last year to educate them on on best parking practices. Um, We've also worked super closely with Camden, who have found over 250 parking bays for bikes. So we're really proud of that relationship. And also Islington as well deserve a shout out for, for their sort of approach um, and very sort of proactive approach to you know encouraging cycling and, and doctor cycling uh, in particular. And we just really hope that that sort of approach is, is emulated across other boroughs. Perfect. Thank you for delving into that. You've mentioned the importance of collaborating with cities and authorities, but I just wanted to understand if you see opportunities for collaboration with other micromobility operators in the pursuit of shared sustainable urban transportation and how such partnerships might contribute to creating a more environmentally friendly and efficient micromobility ecosystem in the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, while we operate in a highly competitive industry, um, it's important, particularly in cities like London, um, that we collaborate really closely with other micro-mobility operators across lots of different areas, you know, ensuring that we share important updates, making sure we're working together to, you know, ultimately advance the success of shared micro-mobility schemes um, like, like ours. So this could be from things like our teams proactively moving or tidying some of our competitors' bikes if they're, you know, tending to obey already and they can see one of our competitors' bikes causing an obstruction um, to working alongside our borough partners that we we share um, and and obviously the, the operators themselves in the run-up to major events like the King's Coronation or Notting Hill Carnival. So we've um, got a lot of experience of, of doing that um, over the last few years, you know, particularly for, for some of the major events we've had in, in recent years. Because while we're competitors, sharing resources and updates where it makes sense is, you know, it's ultimately in everyone's interest um, and kind of speaks to that sustainability point as well. And, you know, if where we can reduce, you know, people going out uh, in a van to, to tend to obey, if we've already got someone there, um, then we we will sort of happily, you know, help uh, our sort of uh, our competitors in, in where it makes sense. And we also obviously want to work closely with them and join forces uh, with those competitors to push local and national government on shared interests like improving regulation, continuing investment in cycling infrastructure, and also supporting boroughs in helping identify appropriate space for cycle parking, like I've, I've mentioned already. That's great to hear. I guess you're all working towards the same goal, so collaborating is the way forward. As we sort of come to the end of this podcast episode today, I wanted to shift our focus to the theme of the future by asking you how you envision the future of sustainable urban transportation, particularly in the context of micromobility. Yeah, so micromobility is reshaping the way people move around their cities. Um, it's an incredibly exciting time um, to be working in, in the space. Um, and at Human Forest, we're incredibly proud to be able to support London's active travel and air quality goals, which are so needed and so important, um, but also provide an affordable way for people to travel during a cost of living crisis, like I mentioned at the top. So I think shared mobility and particularly cycling is is here to stay. It's clear that that, that you know just from our usage figures and our ridership, um, it's getting more and more popular. More people want to access our vehicles, and actually, sometimes in some areas, it's it's we're struggling to sort of keep up with demand. Um, it, you know, ultimately, micro mobility, like like the service we offer, it requires zero upfront investment for for people. You don't need to buy a bike, um, and actually, purchasing a car at the moment is extremely expensive. There's no long term commitment. You have the flexibility to plan your own route, and you can sort of travel on your own schedule. But I believe that the future of our cities will need to accommodate a really healthy mobility mix. So one where all modes actively reduce air pollution. So, for example, I believe that cars play an important role, um, but we need to use them appropriately when we need them, not for small local trips. And if we are to use them, let's make sure that it doesn't become it doesn't come at the expense of our air quality. I also think there's a really great opportunity to build and grow out the cargo bike offering for uh, for consumers. I think that's a space that is you know needs a lot more sort of uh, you know looking at and I think we need to sort of find more ways to accommodate uh, shared cargo bikes uh, in a city like London um, and I think this this area has grown for parcel deliveries but but not so much for uh, for personal use yet. 
That's really insightful. Thank you for sharing your vis- um, vision for the future. As you've mentioned, the potential advancements in technology are really promising. So as we move towards this future, it's really clear that micromobility will continue to be a key driving force in reshaping urban mobility and contributing to a more sustainable and vibrant cityscape. Considering the ever-evolving landscape of sustainable transportation and the rapid advancements in technology, how does human forest sort of envision incorporating these emerging innovations, such as autonomous electric vehicles, for example, into its micromobility services to further enhance convenience, safety and environmental impact for riders in the urban environments? So, yeah, I I think currently our focus is continuing to just be about e-bikes. That is, you know, I think where we are seeing the most opportunity uh, in the immediate future. But like I say, I think uh, in terms of the the ad tech side of the business, I think that is a really exciting uh, and promising way for us to uh, unlock more uh, customers and make the service as accessible as possible because of the way that it uh, reduces that uh, you know, cost for, for, for customers. I think really the focus for us at the moment, you know, tech, the technology absolutely needs, you know, we need to continually be looking at, at, at technology and we're actually exploring some really exciting parking technology that will hopefully utilize artificial intelligence potentially to, to sort of see how we can encourage more responsible parking and you know so kind of watch the space for that but uh, I think where we need to be focusing a lot more attention uh, like I said at the top is really around making sure that we have the infrastructure in place in our cities um, to you know create a, a real seamless experience for riders there's still a huge proportion of people who don't really want to cycle in London, in a city like London anyway, because there isn't the sort of segregated um, infrastructure in place in our roads and they feel more vulnerable. So I think particularly um, women and older people um, are less likely to cycle because they feel like it is less safe. So how can we best work with our cities to introduce more protective infrastructure, as well as, as I said, locating more parking bays um, to make sure that residents, visitors, businesses have as much access to something like cycling um as as much as possible um you know we know that there is we need to see around 150 to 200 meters every 200 meters there being a parking bay in order to really make it an accessible option for people and we we share these sorts of insights and data with our uh with our borough partners regularly to help inform and support improvements to, to their uh, existing cycle lanes and schemes as well. And um, so that for me is is our sort of core focus at the moment, um, as well as obviously looking at how we can best utilise technology to um, provide an optimum service for our borough partners and obviously importantly, our customers. Thank you for highlighting the importance of ensuring greater accessibility of services to a broader and more diverse group of people. Diversity and inclusion are a key focus for the transportation industry, so it's really nice to see that this is something that Human Forest is also prioritising. In addition to making your bike share services more accessible, I was hoping that you could provide us with some insight into how Human Forest prioritises diversity and inclusion in its workforce, and what initiatives or strategies are in place to ensure a diverse and representative team that reflects the varied perspectives and needs of the communities that the company serves. Yeah, of course. Um, 
this is a topic that's extremely important to me personally and something I know um, as a business human forest takes really seriously as well. We want our service to be open and accessible to everyone in the city and to as many people as possible. And so we have to make sure that we, in turn, are representative of the city itself. Uh, you know, when we're sort of designing the scheme and, and adding features and things like that, it's important we have a, a diverse range of, of views and uh, opinions and, and backgrounds involved. Um, so that means we need to ensure there are equal opportunities for all as part of the recruitment process. And, you know, we advertise roles across seven different platforms, outlets, university notice boards, to ensure that we're, first of all, attracting diverse talent from a, a range of backgrounds. Um, we have things like uh, inclusion networks uh, at Human Forest, things like Women of the Forest. Um, we work really closely with schools in the boroughs that we operate in um, to attend careers fairs. Um, some of our uh, contracts that we have with boroughs mean that we are actually currently creating apprenticeship opportunities um, for uh, local students and work experience placements to really advertise not only human forest but also just the sector that we work in as well and you know we are fortunate enough that we have roles in, in marketing and uh, sort of tech and HR and obviously my, my sort of role as well in, in policy and communications and then at, during the application process itself at human forest we also use online tests for applicants from a company called Test Gorilla. They're programmed to remove biases in order to take a skills approach and they allow us to be more objective in, in the hiring process itself. And we, a really key thing that we also do is use diverse panel interviews and we allow the interviewees to meet multiple team members um, as well throughout the process to remove the influence of any individual biases that there might be. As a company, we, we do biannual diversity and inclusion surveys. So that's measuring the diversity within the existing team. And we collect feedback from colleagues and we sort of use that to, to drive improvements um, where, where we can to, to improve um, diversity inclusion in the workplace. At the moment, 30% of our workforce identifies being from a minority group and 36% of leadership positions are currently held by women. So it's, it's okay, but of course there's always more that needs to be done and we need to work hard to truly make sure that um make sure that we're truly representative of the city that we operate in so um yeah we're we're currently looking at all the different types of ways that we can not only improve the the recruitment process to get you know diverse people into the company but also uh make sure that the existing workforce as well feel included um and you know that their their voices are heard well, that's really brilliant to hear. Thank you so much for sharing such detailed insights into Human Forest's commitment to diversity and inclusion. It's certainly evident that the company is dedicated to creating a more inclusive and representative team. So thank you for that, Alex. This is a bit of a hypothetical question compared to the rest, but in an ideal world, what would a net zero transport system look like to you? So, yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot that we all collectively need to do, right, to, to reach a future where we have a, a net zero transport system and that, that can actually be a reality. I think we're on the right track. Um, it's crucial that we keep up momentum, though, with local and national government, particularly with what's been in the news lately uh, around some very senior politicians uh, making remarks around uh, you know, increasing car use. Uh, and you know, we've just got to make sure that all the, the progress that we've made in recent years to encourage more sustainable modes isn't lost uh, and we just sort of don't lose sight of the bigger picture here. Um, I think at the moment a lot of the public discourse actually is around bike versus car which is 
slightly unhelpful and it sort of leads to a bit of a battle over road space. Uh, I think ultimately both modes have a role to play and in the future we actually need to kind of develop a wide range of different vehicles between bike and car um, that can serve different use cases because some trips won't be practical practical by, by bike or car. I think a zero net zero transport system I think is one that is hopefully going to be shared. So Owning a vehicle outright, whether that's a bike or a car, might not be practical or affordable uh, in the future, particularly in cities with limited space like London. So dockless e-bikes are really ideally suited for that. You know, they give customers huge flexibility. There's no commitment. The electric assist makes cycling easier for people, particularly in hilly parts of town, and opens up cycling to a, a wide range of different people with varying abilities. And But to make that sort of shared setup work, that net zero sort of transport network needs to make sure that we have a we have allocated the right amount of space um to those sorts of modes whether they're sort of car clubs or dockless bikes we've got to make sure there's a safe and convenient place for people to pick that vehicle up ultimately so investment in infrastructure is going to be key um I've, i've mentioned already we need to rethink about the way that we look at parking in london and making sure that we accommodate the growth in trip numbers that we and other dockless bike operators, e-scooter operators, car club operators are going to see in the coming years. And integrating those types of schemes into the wider transport network is going to be really important. And also beyond that, obviously, I think I've mentioned already, we, we you know need to make that, that investment in segregated cycle lanes. One of the main reasons why people don't cycle in London is because of concerns around safety. And we know that 60% of all the trips made by motorised vehicles like cars actually could be cycled. So if we're going to really tap into that sort of 60% and make a real dent into it, we need to make sure that making cyc- uh, cycling is actually a, a really viable option and people feel safe to, to make the jump to, to, to a bike. I think the future as well is, I think improved regulation is going to have to play a role. We've seen the impact of schemes like ULES and TFL, for example, their vehicle requirements for for taxis and ride-hailing companies, that has all really accelerated a transition to electric or hybrid vehicles. And I think sort of regulation along those lines is going to be needed um, further and potentially tightening if we're going to reach our net zero targets, which is obviously coming down the track very soon. I think just lastly, in an ideal world, from a personal perspective, I think ensuring that our children and young people are equipped to, to ride a bike in urban environments is going to be super important. I know Bikeability is an amazing organisation. They, they do a fantastic job running training across the country for, for children and young people to give them those skills um, to sort of cycle around safely. At Human Forest, we're, we're playing our part. So we are funding um, some cycle training across London boroughs. So in Islington, for example, we've provided 200 adult one-to-one cycle skill sessions. And I think if we are you know, expecting people to make the, the switch between different modes to, to a bike, uh, which we know is sort of healthier and more sustainable, um, then I think, you know, we need to also make that investment in making sure that people know how to, to ride safely uh, around cities, particularly in London. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing your vision, Alex. It's certainly ambitious and comprehensive, um, but truly inspiring. I hope that this becomes a reality sooner rather than later. Finally, as we wrap up this podcast episode today, considering the growing emphasis on sustainable mobility and the rising adoption of electric vehicles, could you please share Human Forest's long-term strategies for expanding its services and influence in the urban transportation landscape? Yeah, so 
we would love to bring our service to all urban environments, um, as, as many cities and, and towns as we can. But we have to make sure that we are doing as great a job as we possibly can where we currently are, uh, instead of expanding too rapidly. And we've seen you know, some examples of, of, of that taking place uh, in other markets and with other companies as well. So our plan is having now been in London for around three years, we are definitely exploring opening another European city next year, potentially. So um, watch this space. And from from then, we'll have to see what happens. Oh, that's really exciting. I'll definitely be watching out for news for that. So thank you for sort of highlighting and that. Sadly, that is all that we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex, for this episode and for sharing your thoughts on human forest vision for sustainable urban transportation, as well as your efforts to ensure compliance with regulations and the innovative strategies that the company is employing to create a seamless micromobility experience for riders in London. I'm sure that our listeners will agree with me. So thank you once again. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Before we go, a quick note to our listeners. I hope that you all enjoyed today's episode. If you're keen to hear more about other key topics from within the transport industry, then please do make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on our future episodes, as we have plenty more exciting discussions in store for you. You can listen to every episode of our podcast, both past and future, on our website, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as any other platform that you usually listen on. On behalf of myself and Alex, thank you all for your time and for listening to us today. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.